Does it feel like you're at a constant battle in your walk with Christ? Do you ever feel like you're losing? Do you sometimes want to give up? Does it look like even the nation in which you live is starting to turn the tables against you to live a faithful Christian life? We discuss all this and more this week on The Deep End. This is the Bible. It is the most loved, the most read, the most scrutinized, the most cherished, the most criticized, the most enjoyed, the most studied, the most hated book in the entire world. And this is the Deep End Podcast, where we talk about the Bible in modern day language. And so this year, we're going through the book of Revelation, the most requested book to be studied by Christians in America, and the least desired to be taught by pastors in America. On the Deep End Podcast, we dive deep into to the Bible to help you know what God has to say through this book. Thank you for joining us. This is The Deep End. Okay, welcome in everybody on Facebook Live, YouTube Live, and uh, joining us maybe after the live moment, either through your podcast app or on YouTube or Facebook. We're so glad that you are here with us. It is Wednesday, live at noon, as always, on The Deep End. Welcome to episode 20 of season number two. I am your host, Tim Hatch, pastor of Waters Church in North Attleboro, Massachusetts. So glad that you're joining us. We are going into the second half of the book of Revelation, but before we get there, let's just say hello to the team behind the scenes. Hello. The all-stars. There they are. And on the mic is uh, Kelly, uh, who works here at the church with us, and Michael McGarry on the mic. We're sporting the Levi's hoodie. Hello. So... Don't be distracted by the <laughs> Levi's hoodie, even though I mentioned it now twice. And then let us know in the comments where you are watching from. As we always like to know where you're watching from, ask questions. Feel free, please, to ask any questions that you want to. If we don't get to them in a live moment, we'll get to them afterwards or some other time. We love your questions. I've had so much fun these last couple of weeks doing the uh, question and answers. Um, we got to do that again. Uh, good news is, is that in a couple of weeks uh, on the weekend here at Waters Church, uh, my wife, Cheryl, and I will be doing a marriage series together. Um, what are we calling that series? What did I just marriage call it? Marriage Hacks. No, no, we changed the name. Oh. No, we changed the name to, um, oh, Destination Marriage. Have, have you guys ever watched the TV show Destination Wedding? No. Is there such a t TV show as Destination Wedding? I think there is. Or it's a term. Not that I know of. Okay, well, it's a it term. It is a term, yeah. Yeah, it's a term in the culture today where people make it all about having the wedding at some exotic location, and it's like destination wedding. So you get all your friends to fly to Puerto Rico for the weekend or wherever you're going to go, you know, Acapulco, have your wedding there, and everybody has to fly back. Well, people have to like pay $3,000 to get to your wedding and everything. And I was thinking about this. Like, this is the modern mindset is to put all of our money and all of our eggs into the basket of the one day that we're going to do this thing. And um, I thought, you know what? Why not rather say destination marriage? In other words, who cares how great your wedding is if your marriage sucks? Like, who cares how, how wonderful that day is if all the days from that day forward are more and more miserable? So my wife will be joining me on the stage here at Waters Church, and this is the week after Easter. So come Easter Sunday, but then come the next week, because we're going to start that series, Destination Marriage. We're going to talk about all the different ways in which uh, the Bible speaks to the marriage relationship. Married, unmarried, and everybody in between. Now, I mention that because on the deep end, we're going to be actually taking a break from the book of Revelation. So... For that series, uh, we're going to have question and answers here on the deep end with my wife, and they will be live, and they will be pre-asked, and you will be able to ask questions based on the content of the message from the weekend 
on that Wednesday. So when we talk about uh, when we talk about uh, sex and intimacy, you can ask questions about that. When we talk about kids and discipline, you can talk about that one. Friends and family and how to relate to our parents or in-laws and all that kind of stuff. Or even how to find the person that we should marry. Uh, you can ask those questions. So make sure you tune in because those four weeks are going to be all about marriage and relationships. Very difficult um, uh, relationship in our lives for many people. A lot of people struggling in their marriages. We want to help you. That's what the church is here for, helping and ministering to your needs. Uh, so make sure you join us all four weeks of that series. Does that sound like a good idea? Yeah. Does that sound like a good idea? Love it. Fantastic. Yeah, sound, sounds good. Okay. Uh, that's coming up on the deep end in a few weeks. Now, couple, uh, one piece of news. One piece of news that happened yesterday in Massachusetts, and, and this is another another. Uh, sign of the times, Christians, for your religious freedoms here in America. The Massachusetts governor, Charlie Baker, has signed into the law a measure that would make it illegal for mental health counselors in the state to help children with unwanted sexual attractions or gender confusion. In other words, the day of a, uh, a mental health professional being able to maybe help somebody, now the key term here is, with unwanted sexual preferences. Uh, or gender confusion to actually work out that unwanted desire or dysphoria with their counselor. Uh, according to the law, the mental health professional has to immediately affirm whatever they feel. Hmm. This, to me, is like crazy. This is the <laughs> this is what um, the uh, the the side who is proponing proponents of this measure, this law. Uh, have now called constitutional. They are 100% sure this is a constitutional law. Last time I checked, the Constitution was not for banning things, but allowing things. And it's kind of funny how we are allowing more and more pot and marijuana and banning more and more things like this. Like, I guess constitutionality is a flexible term depending on what you want to ban and what you don't want to ban. And it just seems to me like I understand that there's been a lot of people who have been hurt by weird measures out there to kind of try to make somebody not feel same-sex attracted or gender dysphoria. I understand that. I don't want people to feel, I don't want people to be like coerced to do this kind of stuff or people to abuse their power. And there's been an abuse of power in churches and in counseling sessions, yes, in history. But for the person who comes genuinely and says, listen, I'm attracted to the same sex and I don't want it. I don't want to be. Uh, there's now no help for them? Like legally now, you cannot help them. Right. Crazy. People think that's wrong. People think that is wrong to help. Yeah. When the person comes, again, the key term that I said was unwanted. If the person comes to you and you're a counselor and they say, no, I'm same-sex attracted. And I'm totally fine with that. Don't, don't deal with that. Okay. I won't deal with that if I'm a professional counselor. But what if they come to you and they say, I don't want this. I want to uh, say I'm a Christian. Say I'm a Muslim. Say I'm a practicing Muslim who doesn't want to be a homosexual because Islamic law also prohibits homosexual activity. Uh, what does that person do? Where do they go? They have nowhere to go. The only place they can go actually is to the church, uh, to the church where we can tell them about Christ and Christ can change their heart. So that's what we have to remember. Um, I was just shocked by this news, and I think that uh, we have to realize that this is going to become more and more prevalent in our society. This is not freedom. This is the elimination of freedom. And I tell you what this is. This is the war uh, over men and women's souls, because Satan in this day and age is striking absolute confusion into the hearts of men and women around this nation. It is a absolute confusion spirit that is getting into the minds of young people. 
uh, to believe that they are in the wrong bodies or to convince them that they, uh, that, that they should embrace or celebrate or normalize homosexual behavior. And this is the bend of our generation. This is the, this is the trans, transmission for, uh, transition from normalization into abhorrent, abhorrent and uh, uh, strange behaviors that actually will only leave people more destitute, more blind, and more dysfunctional. Uh, you know what? This doesn't sound politically correct, but that's okay because I'm a Christian, and as far as I'm concerned, I'm more concerned with being eternally correct and biblically correct than politically correct. And it's very sad. It's very sad for the people who are struggling because there's serious people, genuine people, who are struggling out there with a false sense of self, and they need help. They need someone to help them. Now, maybe this is God's way of saying, look, I'm going to make my church and the gospel the only solution to these problems. That's what I think right? Mm -hmm. Only the gospel can change the heart. Some of you are saying to me right now, man, I can't believe this stuff. This is happening all the time. It feels more and more like the world is putting more and more pressure on being a biblically minded Christian, particularly around (laughs) what? What we do with our private parts. Mm -hmm. It's just more and more all about that. And, you know, again, this is a fruit. I've talked about this on the Deep End podcast many times. This is a fruit of Freudianism. Uh, This is a fruit of the sexual revolution of the 1960s where we cast off restraint and we just, you know, thought, you know, sex without rules is joy, is awesome, is satisfying, is fulfillment. Well, 50 years later, we have the Me Too movement. We have uh, scores of evidence of uh, uh, sexual predatory practices uh, amongst males uh, upon females. And a rape culture uh, in many college campuses, uh, supposed rape culture on many college campuses. And this is the fruit of the sexual revolution. And now we're just trying to figure out, okay, well, wait a second. We need some, we actually do need some rules after all. It's funny how we cast off rules in the 60s. 50 years later now we're saying, wait a second, we need some rules. But now we're making the wrong rules. (laughs) Like Now we're saying, no, these are the rules we want. These are the rules we don't want. And it's it's very interesting because you've got to look at it like this. Think about this, Christian. How come all the rules that they're making are actually the anti-biblical rules? This is an interesting point. Like, to think about this, the more rules, the, the rules that get made, like this one, poor, the poor soul comes to the council and says, I don't want to be gay. Can you help me? No, I'm sorry. It's against the law to help you. It's against the law to help you fix something that you don't want to be part of your life anymore. This is the way it's going to go. More and more, we're seeing it. Uh, why do I bring this news item up? Because it's going to deal with where we're going in the podcast today. Uh, in the book of Revelation. But I just want to remind you that Paul warned us about this 2,000 years ago in 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says to Timothy, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud. They will love only themselves. Like, think about that. What is homosexual behavior? It is the love of self more, more than anything. What is the sense of I'm, I'm a person trapped in the wrong body? It is the love of self. My rules, my autonomy trumps every other authority in my life, mm. even the authority of my physical body. And we talked about that in the question and answer uh, uh, episode a couple weeks ago or last week. But Paul predicted this, lovers of themselves only and their money. And so you say, Pastor, what can we do? And I get this question a lot from Christians. What can we do about all this? Well, I think that we have to learn that the only thing that we really can do uh, to, uh, I don't want to say push back or fight back, because we don't fight people. We're not at war with people. Uh, We're at war with ideas. We're at war with harmful ideas that actually limit human potential and human freedom. And so I think that the only thing that we can actually do as Christians at this point, as, as laws are passed that are more and more anti-biblical and, and subtly more and more anti-Christian, the only thing that we can do is uh, give our time, talents, and treasure to churches <laughs> that preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And if you're not in a church that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ and you call yourself a Christian, let me just say this uh, unequivocally. You are part of the problem. Like if you're a Christian, you should be part of a church. You should be part of a church that is preaching the gospel. If you're, and if you're part of one of these churches that doesn't preach the gospel, you too are part of the problem if you're a Christian. So if you're a Christian, you've got to realize that the gospel alone, not legislation, not better politics, not better politicians, the gospel alone is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. The gospel is the power of God. We preach the gospel so that the power of God can be manifested in people's hearts. Their hearts change. When you change the heart, the human behavior changes. All other uh, kinds of change that we try to enact upon our lives, upon other people's lives, is changed from the outside in. Only the gospel, through, the, through, through knowing who Christ is, what he's done for you, is changed from the inside out. Jesus said, make the tree good and the fruit will be good. So many times we're trying to deal with the fruit. We're trying to change the, the rottenness of the fruit. But the fruit that's rotten has already been produced by a root that's rotten. The root needs to be changed. Who can change the root of the tree? Only the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anyway, that's what I say. If you want to know a short answer, what can you do? You can pray, of course. But, but secondly, get involved in a church. Get engaged in a church that preaches the gospel. Give your time, talents, and treasure there. Because we need your help. As Water Church, I, I know this for myself. We need your help. And I'm sure, Michael, you will attest to this, that you need help doing what you do here at Water Church with the media yeah. and the technology and all the people that help make the message heard beyond the walls of our building. All the time, yeah. You know, so yep. he's always looking for people to help him. Uh, we're always looking for people with, uh, with our children's ministry, with all these things. The, the church is the last bastion, I think. This is my opinion, anyway. I think the church is the last bastion of reason in our society. Society is losing its mind. And we Christians, we have reason. We have truth on our side. And God will empower us. God will prosper us. God will bless your life as you bless the church. Uh, to that end, let me just say celebratory-wise on uh, to our Waters Church people is we had a great offering come in for Above and Beyond, which is going to help us preach the gospel in North Attleboro and in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, and in future campuses. And so these things we are doing, not just to have a big church, but to get the gospel heard in society and in our communities. So we had a great week. I'm not telling you the amount on the deep end. I want to save that. Uh, it was the best weekend ever for giving in our church's history. Let me just say it that way. Uh, stay tuned to our social media pages, and you'll find out just how much came in. I'm so excited. Uh, you should be too. The gospel is going forward. So we don't lose hope. We don't give up. We don't get all mad at the culture. We just think about the fact that this is why we do what we do. This is why we preach the gospel. All that to say this, we are at war. There's a, real, there's a real spiritual conflict in the heavenly places that we need to be aware of, and that takes us to the book of Revelation. We're in chapter 12, so let's get into it. Are you ready? The book of Revelation. Okay, I got, uh, I got Michael and Kelly on the mics today, and uh, they're very shy, so I'm just going to go with it. <laughs> you guys feel free to say something in response. I know I talk fast, too. Oh, I'll try. You'll try. Yeah. I know. You just got to shoot it in there. Just shoot it in there. Wait for the space and shoot. <laughs> okay. But if they don't say anything, don't worry about it. <laughs> We're just going to get through the book of Revelation, chapter 12. Now, remember I said this. Last week, uh, we said this. That Revelation chapter 12 is the start of the second half of the Revelation. So now we are in that part of the book that really talks about the nature of our reality. Again, the overall 
overarching statement about our study through the book of Revelation is this, is this that Revelation is uh, about what is really real. So you see the governor of Massachusetts signing a law that is kind of anti-biblical, anti-Christian. Uh, you see um, Christians persecuted in Pakistan, um, hugely persecuted in, in Nigeria. Um, you see the Chinese government, the uh, Indian government, clamping down on religious freedom, particularly Christian religious freedom. You see North Korea dictator who basically kills you if he finds you with a Bible. You see those things, but there's something behind those things. And so many times we're reacting to what we see, but we're not dealing with what is unseen. And so Revelation teaches God's people how to, how to know what's behind what they see. Now, we said this, I, sh I shared this, this was the end of our last episode, um, episode 19 on the book of Revelation, where we enter into this, uh, this section of Revelation that's going to deal with the four forces that are coming against us. And these four forces are alive and well in the church, I mean, sorry, in the world today. These are your enemies, dear Christian. These are the influencing uh, presence and spirits around us, and you can't be ignorant of these things. So those four forces are, number one, Satan, who we, who we will be dealing with today in Revelation chapter 12. He is the progenitor or of false doctrines, the originator of all false doctrines and all false beliefs about God. The very first thing that Satan says in the Garden of Eden is, has God really said? In other words, let me take what God has said and let me question it, let me dilute it, let me distort it, let me make it seem different to you in your ears in the way that he said it. This is what he's been doing since the Garden of Eden to humankind. And ladies and gentlemen, he is still doing it to this day. He is distorting God's word and he is filling minds with false beliefs and concepts about God. The second force is the beast. Uh, this is what Revelation will refer to as the unifying political power slash leader of the age. Now, I don't know if you see it like I see it, but I see it this way. Uh, the political camps in our culture today are getting more and more tight-knit and more and more either or. Like there's no more in between. Does anybody else see what I'm talking about? Like you're either far right or far left. Hmm. There's no in between. And if you're not if you're not uh, for us, you're against us. And there's like serious uh, animosity growing between the political divide of our culture. Hmm. And it's not just in America. It's in Europe. It's in, you know, you look at the Blexit vote thing that's going on over in Britain. Uh, it's, it's in America. It's, it's big time. Like you're either for us or you're against us. And so I see that what you're seeing here in the culture is that people are getting more and more aligned not by community, not by neighborhood, but by political ideology. This is harmful. This is harmful because a political ideology can go too far. This is what history has proven time and time again, such as communism, which went too far and put to death about 30 million Russians or, or Chinese people uh, in the last sun, uh, century, or Nazism, which goes way to the right and becomes this nationalistic, anti-Semitic anti force of evil and hate. And political allegiances throughout history have always been the destroyer of communities. You think about this. What makes up a great community? A great community is where people who don't agree about everything can actually talk to each other, can actually be around each other and not hate each other. Right. But ideology creates these camps where we get so um, 
worked up in our own little isolated group that we consider everybody outside of that group part of the problem. And today, more and more, you see, you hear about this, the alt-right, the alt-left, the far-right, the far-left, and they're becoming, they're not fringe movements anymore in our political spectrum. Now they're almost like centerpieces of two polar extremes that are dividing us. And by the way, there's a lot of business to be made in hating people, mm. uh, you know, with the network news sources, with the, um, the, the, the far-left and far-right uh, websites where you can download uh, people that you agree with on a regular basis and read what they say. And, and, you know, there's something called confirmation bias, which talks about the fact that you only read news that actually confirms what you already believe. And, you know, that's a lot of times people come to church that way, too. They come to church thinking, tell me, pastor, what I already agree with. And if you say something that I don't agree with, I'm going to have a problem. I'm going to leave the church. <laughs> you know, we, we, we get that all the time here. But that's that's what you see in, in our world. And it's because there's a real Spiritual force at work is a unifying political movement in the age. Third, false prophet. Now, the false prophet represents the alluring spiritual leader of the age. So as I see political polls becoming extreme, I also see this. The less and less of an influence Christianity has on the West, the more and more of a spiritual chaos uh, becomes the inevitable result. Um, I read uh, somewhere recently, I don't know where, but I read somewhere that since the end of World War II, and you can track that, the, that Christianity's influence in the West has slowly descended, slowly decreased and declined since the end of World War II in the West. Um, but as Christian uh, adherence, Christian adherence has declined in the West, spiritualism has increased um, many times over. And I read somewhere that since the end of World War II in the West, over eight hundred different religions have started <laughs> since the end of World War II. Now, that to me is just kind of crazy. You think about a religion being started with no ties to any ancient world, any ancient worldview, any history, any roots. Just let's start. Let's start worshiping what? Anything. And you think about something like as one of the most notable is Scientology. You guys have heard of Scientology, right? This is mm. Tom Cruise and his crew and all those people right, out in right. Hollywood. You know, this crazy, I don't even know what it is, uh, based on a book by a guy named L. Ron Hubbard, right? It's called Dianetics. That's right. Dianetics. I, I remember growing up uh, when I was a kid and this commercial would come on for Dianetics and the book would fade off into the background like the Star Wars scroll. You know, just, oh, Dianetics, like this like super spiritual thing. And um, it was L. Ron Hubbard who famously said, if you want to become a billionaire, uh, start a religion. Uh, which he did. Uh, he died actually too early to reap the benefits of his belief, but it became Scientology, and that's actually a very modern, weird, crazy religion that's out there. I also so, think there's a lot of attraction or allure to the mystery of Scientology, because it's a lot. There is a lot of like secretive stuff. Yeah, you know. Yeah, this idea of secretism. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and like and that is stuff that you want to find out. And that's like, how scientific Scientology works big time. You got to climb up the ladder. Right. And that the, I remember listening to this because Leah Remeni from um, King of Queens, you know that show King of Queens, Leah Remeni. Actually, she was from Saved by the Bell before King of Queens. Do you guys remember Saved by the Bell? Like yeah, any, I remember you know, it. It was yeah, like my favorite but. show growing up. I used to love that show. But anyway, yeah, uh, uh, she um, escaped the Scientology cult. And then she got like blacklisted by the people in the Scientology. And then they, I don't know, there's like some lawsuit that they're trying to she, still she talks to this about day. It all the time. As yeah. often as possible. Yeah. She, she was, she came clean. She came to the light or whatever. Hmm. She talks about the fact that the last stage of Scientology is when they tell you about the origins of the universe. 
Again, that's like the last secretive thing. Like, okay, now we're finally, we've got enough money out of you. We got enough, <laughs> you know, a, 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 a allegiance out of you. Now we're going to tell you how we all got here. And I think, wow, what a complete, uh, you know, 180 from what the Bible does. The Bible gives us our origins on the very first page. Like, <laughs> you don't have to read even to the end of the Bible to get to the, here's how we got here. Like, that's how God starts. So <laughs> just to me, yeah, you're right, Michael, with the secretism, the let's, let's unveil it little by little. And, uh, and there is an appeal to that in the human nature. But the false prophet is that alluring spiritual leader of the age. And you got to be on the lookout for this because Christian, as Christianity has less and less of an influence, does not mean that that uh, spiritual, spirituality is going to lessen as well. In fact, crazy spirituality is going to be the fruit of less reasonable spirituality. Crazy religions are going to be the fruit of less biblical religion. Please do not be deceived. And you've got to be on your lookout. You've got to be on the lookout for false religions and false spiritualization or spirituality, which is out there and growing leaps and bounds in our culture. Then fourthly is Babylon. And I call this the corrupting whore of indulgence and luxury. This is that sense of um, my life is all about being happy and at ease and to be um, pleasured on every end of my life. Like if, if there's something in my life that does not bring me pleasure or happiness, then it's evil and wrong and against me and I must, I must eliminate it. This is the quest of eternal happiness and bliss that we see uh, growing in our society. Um, the, even the false concept of I deserve to be happy and woe to the person who gets in the way of my happiness. And if you do get in the way of my happiness, then I'm just going to cut you off, cut you out of my life. Uh, this is why uh, divorce rates are out of in the stratosphere today. This is why uh, families don't talk to each other over small little issues. They don't talk to each other anymore. They don't. They don't. They don't care for one another. It is self love. It is all about the individual, and it is the corrupting influence of what Revelation will call um, the city of Babylon. And so these are the four forces that we have to deal with today. We're going to just deal with the first one, Satan. Uh, Revelation chapter 12 helps us understand our spiritual enemy. So today's topic is understanding our fight with Satan, Revelation chapter 12. And we're just going to go through this to teach you about what's going on. Why does it feel like as a Christian, it's getting harder and harder or there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, 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 a challenge to your faith every day in multiple ways just by being a Christian, just by living. Um, if you don't feel challenged by the world in which you live as a Christian, check your faith. Check whether or not you are actually in Christ because you do have a spiritual enemy and he is, he is coming at you with ferocity. This is what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. He says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. So, first, we don't wrestle against people. It's not us versus them. It's not us versus the homosexual lobby in, in uh, the state house or in Congress. It's not us versus the Muslims. It is not us versus the atheists. It's not us versus the skeptics or the agnostics. It is not us versus anybody in flesh and blood. Paul says that right here. We don't wrestle against those people. They are not our enemy. We do have a wrestling match, though, with the cosmic powers the present over the present darkness, the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. Therefore, he says in verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all, you stand firm. If you forget that the devil is your enemy, you are a sitting duck for his deception. If you want to deny his existence, you are playing right into his hand. There was a great song by the late, great Keith Green 
who love Keith Green. You guys know you know Keith Green. Yeah. You don't know Saved by the Bell, but you know Keith Green. <laughs> okay, I it's see like where you're coming from. Fifteen minute songs, yeah. just like a story. Fifteen. Great. Minute, they were great used songs. To fall asleep to them. Yeah. Well, he was the um, what would you call him? He was like the uh, the '70s like hippie Christian hippie, mm-hmm. and he and he great. He wrote some great songs. He wrote wrote a fantastic song called Nobody Believes in Me Anymore. And it's the song of the devil. The devil's singing, and he's saying, it's so easy to deceive. It's so I'm running around like crazy. I'm having a time of my life. Why? Because nobody believes in me anymore. And the moment that we don't believe that the devil's real is the moment that we play right into his hands. The moment, Christian, that you don't think that you're at, at war with a spiritual enemy is the moment that the spiritual enemy is just going to mess with you. He's going to toy with you. He's going to destroy you. Because his number one aim is deception. And if he can deceive you to believe that he's not real... Man, he's just gonna he's just gonna go off on you. And, and, and your life is gonna get all jacked up in all number of different ways. You're gonna wonder what's going on, and here's what's going on. You are not fighting back against a spiritual enemy who is fighting you. A boxing match where one boxer just stands there and just takes all the hits from the other boxer is not going to last very long. That match is gonna be over like a Mike Tyson match from the 1980s. It's gonna be over before 15 seconds into the first round. And there's a lot of Christians that are doing that with their spiritual enemy. Revelation doesn't want you doing that. God doesn't want you doing it. And so in the revelation of Jesus Christ, we have a revelation of our arch enemy, Satan. Let's get into it. Revelation chapter 12, verse 1 says this. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars appeared. And it says, she was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. Okay, who is this woman? Is this woman the devil? No. (laughs) Uh, This woman represents something that we Christians are a part of. A couple of signs from the text that show us who she is. Number one, she's clothed with the sun. Okay, this is a reference to Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 10, where Solomon sings about his lover, the, the woman that he loves, and he talks about her being uh, like sunshine in his life. I mean, this is the original, that's where the line comes from. Sunshine, you are the sunshine of my life. It comes from the Song of Solomon. And the Song of Solomon is a picture of Christ and his bride. And so if Solomon is the picture of Christ, then the woman that Solomon loves in Song of Solomon is a picture of the bride of Christ. So clothed with the sun is a reference to that, meaning that this is possibly, very possibly, the church, the church of Jesus. Secondly, there's a moon under her feet. The moon under her feet refers to the fact that she's been given authority over the principalities of darkness. In Genesis chapter 1, verse, uh, I forget, I think it's 15 or 16, somewhere around there. It talks about the fact that the sun is given authority over the day and the moon is given authority over the night. Well, this moon here is under the foot of the woman. This is a symbol of authority over the powers of darkness. Then there's 12 stars in her head. And the 12 stars on the crown of her head speak to governmental headship. Now, we've talked about this with the 24 elders, that the 24 elders represent the two covenant peoples of God, the old covenant through Israel, the new covenant through Jesus' blood. Now, I believe personally that this woman is a picture of the the covenant community of God, both Old and New Testament. There's a couple of reasons why. Number one, she's she's pregnant. She's about to give birth to a baby who's going to rule and reign over the earth. We're going to read that in just a moment. The Jews um, are the Old Testament covenant people of God through whom the natural birth of Christ happened. Uh, We tend to believe that Mary is Catholic. 
she's not Catholic. <laughs> she never was. <laughs> she was Jewish. She was always Jewish. And she was a believer in Jesus. And I believe she's in heaven 100%. Absolutely. She's a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. But she was Jewish. She was a natural Jewish mother of the Lord Jesus Christ through the supernatural con uh, conception that happened in her womb. But she's Jewish, which means that the Jews gave us Jesus. A lot of Christians have gone off the rails and said the Jews killed Jesus. Wait a second. The Jews gave us Jesus. Okay, now the religious leaders in Jesus' day, yes, they did conspire with Rome to put Jesus on the cross, but that was the religious leaders. Many of the Jews, and for the first 10 years of the Christian movement, it was all Jews believing in and following Jesus. There is no case to be made for Christians to have any kind of sentiment other than adoration and appreciation for the Jews for the fact that we get Jesus from the Jewish nation. And so this woman represents the Jews, Old Covenant people of God, but it also represents the church, the New Covenant people of God. So you got those two covenants. The Old Covenant made with Abraham, the New Covenant made with Jesus. When Jesus uh, sits with the disciples at the Last Supper, he says, this blood is the New Covenant, the New Covenant of my blood, or in my blood, which I make with you. In Jeremiah, it talks about, I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel. It will not be like the Old Covenant that I made with their forefathers that they failed to live up to. It's a New Covenant. It's a covenant of grace. It's a covenant of undeserved mercy and favor that God has given to not just one nation, but all nations on the earth, and that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. doesn't matter if you're Greek, Italian, African-American, Nigerian, Roman, wherever you're from, whoever you are, through Christ, you can come into the new covenant people of God. Now, the question becomes, well, what about this agony of birth and, 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 and uh, birth pains? Well, Birth is painful. Birth is painful, and it is a struggle to give birth. And what this speaks to is the reality that as a covenant member, as a member of the covenant community of God, Christian, there's going to be agony and birth pain in your life as you struggle to bring about the life of Christ in your world, both in your life and in the lives of those around you. There's going to be a struggle to do that. There's going to be a struggle to become more Christ-like for yourself personally, there's going to be a struggle for you to make disciples as a follower of Jesus Christ. It is, it is a struggle. You want to struggle for Christ, start a church. You want to struggle for Christ, be part of the church, which uh, is always trying to make disciples. And this is hard work. It's agonizing, but it is like birth pains. Now you say, show me a passage that backs it up. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, Paul talking to Galatians says, My little children, for whom I am, and again, the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. The new covenant, old covenant people of God are the woman represented here, clothed with the sun, the, sun, the, 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 the authority of God has been given to them, the moon is under her feet, the, dark, the powers of darkness, Christian, are under your feet, and you are now in the process of agonizing with the old and new covenant people of God in bringing Christ into the world, into the nations. Now think about this when we evangelize somebody and they come and they convert to Christ. What, is, what do we call that? We call that the new birth. birth. Yeah, that's right. We call it the new birth. Way to go, Michael. And so the new birth experience is not something that happens easily. It happens through agony. It happens through work. We just got done with a series here called Above and Beyond. And the first thing that I said to our church here to raise money for future endeavors of our church's life to people is to remember, remember that somebody paid for you to be here today. We raised money to make room for you today, so now it's your turn to raise money for people who are coming tomorrow. That's how the church has worked successfully throughout history, but it's always in the struggle. It's always in the pains of others that, 
that people are brought into the new birth experience. And so that's what I think this woman represents. She represents the church, both the old covenant community of faith and the natural Israel and the new covenant community of faith, spiritual Israel, the church. Then it says in verse 3, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns on his head and seven diadems on those horns or on his head. So who is this? Obviously, this is the devil. Like, we don't have to dig too deep here to see this is the enemy. And the enemy, it says here, uh, is uh, he's got seven heads. Now, why seven heads? Well, this imagery speaks to the reality that the devil is cunning. Where do we get our intellect? Where is, where is the seat of our intellect in our bodies? This is on our heads, right? Mm. Where do we devise ideas, schemes, concepts? Right here in our head. Well, what the scripture is saying is that the devil has seven of them. The devil is very cunning. Remember what it says about the serpent in the very first, a third chapter of the Bible says, now the serpent was more cunning than all the beasts of the earth that the Lord God had made. The devil is no dummy. And if you think, if the first mistake is to believe that there is no devil, I think the second mistake is to believe that the devil is dumb. The devil is not dumb. He is smart. He is intellectual. In fact, some of his best arguments are intellectual arguments. They are arguments that are based on what sounds reasonable, but they are distortions of what is true. Now, let's talk about the fact that he is a dragon, because this is very interesting. He is a dragon, and he's trying to, and he's going to about to eat the baby. He wants to eat the baby. Now, this is all weird imagery, right? But you know, but you know what the reality is, is that John is actually drawing on Greek mythology here. He's drawing on a Greek mythology story in retelling the story of Christ. Uh, according to Greek mythology, there was a story of the goddess Leto who was carrying the child Apollo in her womb, and the dragon god Python tried to kill her before uh, Apollo was born. But Leto, according to Greek mythology, is carried away by the winds to a secret island, and Apollo is born and finally slays the dragon. Now, that's a Greek myth. And you say, well, why would... John, use a Greek myth to talk about Jesus. Doesn't this prove that the Bible is just myth itself? No. What it is doing is it is helping us, helping Greeks in the first century, reinterpret what was already part of their cultural narrative according to the truth of Christ. Now, here's the amazing thing about that narrative. The, the prince born who slays the dragon who wanted to kill mom. This story has been retold in our generation a hundred times over through companies like Disney and DreamWorks, right? Like, think about this. How many stories go like this? Uh, you think about uh, the, the movie Enchanted, one of my favorite movies, by the way, and I'm, I'm man enough to say that. Have you seen that movie? I have not. It's a great movie. No. Well, it's, I, I've only seen one Disney movie, so. Oh, which one what? is that? Um, <laughs> Uh, Snow White. Snow White. Okay. In your whole life. You, you gotta watch. Life. You gotta watch more. They're they're pretty good. They're, I, I gotta say, recommendation. Any Disney movie. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Enchanted is about this girl, you know, and the, the guy has to slay the dragon, the woman who's out to kill the girl, or Shrek, right? Who's in the dra Who's who's guarding Fiona in the castle? It's the dragon. A uh, little bit of a nuance to that story, a little twist in the story. The donkey falls in love with the dragon and <laughs> produces weird little dragon babies, dragon donkey babies. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> Shrek has to go in and slay the dragon. Or the classic Sleeping Beauty, where he does literally have to slay the dragon. And this has also now been told in that new movie. What's the new movie about Sleeping Beauty? It's called The Huntsman something? I'm not sure. Okay. If you know what it is, let us know in the comments. It's, not, it's like something like The Huntsman. Sleeping Beauty. Ah, forget it. Anyway. Not only in pop culture and movies is the story told, but guess where else, ladies and gentlemen? In video games. 
think about the classic video game of all time, Super Mario Brothers. What does what does Mario have to do? He has to slay the dragon to save the princess. <laughs> what happens in the Legend of Zelda? Who is Zelda? Zelda is the princess that needs to be get that needs to get saved by. Who's the guy? Who's the main character? Does anybody know? Any Zelda fans in the room? Okay, this is the least culturally adept <laughs> group of people I've ever had. Link. I, 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 Link. Link. There Link. we go. Link. Okay. Help, pray for me. I'm, I'm on an island over here. I'm trying to make points that has no meaning to anybody. I hope it has meaning to you out there on the Deep End podcast audience. But nonetheless, the guy has to slay the dragon who's holding captive the princess and set her free. Well, where does this story come? Why? The question that I have to ask you is this. Why does this story sell so well? Because all these movies are best, all these movies are huge sellers. They're huge sellers because they resonate with something that's deeper inside of us. It betrays the actual reality that this is our story. There is a dragon out to get us. There is a very real enemy. His name is Satan. He has cunning and deception. He knows how to intellectually manipulate the situation around us. There is a very real woman in distress the church, the people of God. And there has to be a very real prince or hero that comes and saves us. That hero is Jesus. The reason why Disney makes so much money on retelling this story a hundred different ways with different characters in different contexts is because it is our story. And what John is doing here in, in Revelation chapter 12 is brilliant. He's leveraging a story that the Greeks would have been familiar with, the culture would have been familiar with, to say, listen, that story that you like, that you tell your kids... It's actually the story of redemption. It's actually the story of what Christ has done for us. He's the prince who is born through the woman, who saves the woman from the dragon who's trying to kill the woman. This is our story, Christian. <coughs> and, and we have to be aware that this devil is real or we will play right into his hands. Now, seven heads speaks to his intellect. Ten horns speak to his strength. Um, the symbol of strength in the Bible is the horn. Well, ten is a um, it's just a magnifying number of that. He is a very strong enemy, and he is not to be trifled with. He is not to be messed with. You, you have no standing against Satan if you're outside of Christ, okay? The only standing that you have against Satan is, we'll talk about in this chapter, the power of Jesus. But third, he has seven diadems. These are earthly crowns. Uh, most commentators believe these are this represents political authority. Political authority. Satan is and I believe this, the undercurrent of almost every political movement in history. He is always working through the political movements. Why? Because he knows how to manipulate the situation. So when you look at the political landscape of America, please don't just look at what you're seeing. Please don't just look at, well, how is this political leader going to give me more money or opportunity or make my dreams come true or help me get what I think that I deserve in life? So many Christians are falling for the allure of political persuasion instead of knowing the power behind the political persuasion. This is why some of you watch Fox News more religiously than you read your scriptures. <laughs> this is why some of you listen to CNN more than you listen to Christ. Because you put your hope into the political persuasion powers of the age that, 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 that appeal to your selfishness, that lovers of self mentality that Paul warns Timothy about. Behind every political power is the devil, is the dragon of old who uses political power, who uses authoritative structures in our age to deceive the nations. And Christian, you have the book of Revelation here to help you 
not put your faith in political movements, but to put your faith in the power of the gospel. Like I just opened up this, this podcast with. Our answer to the heightening intolerance for biblical Christianity is not political power. It is the power of the gospel. Because the hero of the story here in Revelation 12 is not an idea. The hero is a person. That person is Jesus. So let's talk about where it goes from here. Uh, Chapter 12, verse 4, still talking about the dragon. It says, His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Okay, the first enemy of Satan here is the child of the woman, Jesus. And Satan tries to devour Jesus. He tries. He tries to get Jesus to worship him. First, before that, actually, if you think about it, you can go all the way back through the book of Genesis, to the book of Genesis. Uh, you've got Cain and Abel, two brothers. One's righteous, one's unrighteous. The unrighteous brother tries to wipe out the righteous line. He kills Abel. Cain kills Abel. Abel's the righteous line. Cain's the unrighteous line. These are stories that paint a picture of our ultimate reality. And so you've got Cain killing Abel. Fast forward a little bit further in the Bible. Who do you have trying to kill who? Pharaoh trying to subdue and destroy the Hebrews. Fast forward a little further. Oh, by the way, he tries to kill them by putting to death the, the, um, the, the, the sons two years old and younger, right? Fast forward a little further. You've got Saul, the unrighteous king, trying to kill who? David, the righteous king. Fast forward even further. Then you've got Jesus, and he's born. And who tries to kill him first? Herod the Great. Herod the Great um, uh, sends his soldiers to kill all the boys in Bethlehem that are two years old and younger. This is a retelling of the story of Pharaoh. Herod thinks he's the new Pharaoh. The unrighteous line of Cain still trying to kill the righteous line of Abel. These stories in the Bible are not individual stories. They are retold in many different phases of human history to teach us about our true reality. Then you get to the cross, and guess what? Satan actually thinks he finally did it. He fin- All right, I finally did it. I, got, I killed this guy once and for all. No, you didn't. You just fulfilled the plan and purpose of God from the foundation of the earth. And three days later, that son who was put to death by the cross actually rises again in victorious triumph and crushes that ancient serpent's head that um, deceived Adam and Eve in the garden. This is the beautiful story of the scriptures. This is why the scriptures come alive to me. Because you don't read the scriptures in isolation. You don't read the story of David and Saul in isolation. That story is pointing to a bigger story. You don't read the story of Cain and Abel in isolation. That story is pointing to a bigger story, the reality. And then you don't listen to Disney movies and Greek myths in isolation. Those stories are fragmented figures of the real story that there is a dragon out to get us. There's a real hero that will not, that will not lose. So he sweeps out a third of the stars of heaven, That speaks to his um, rebellion. We know this from other passages in the Bible that uh, Satan led a cosmic rebellion before the creation of earth and the the heavens, and he was cast down to earth. Here he actually even says it in verse 4. He was cast down to the earth. Verse 5, she gave birth. This is back to Revelation chapter 12. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. This is obviously Jesus. But her child was caught up to God in his throne. The word caught up there, by the way, is uh, harpizio. It's the same Greek word that Paul uses to refer to uh, we who are alive and remain when Jesus returns will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. When Christ returns, there's going to be a rapture of the church. 
Now, I've talked about the rapture in this podcast, and I've just said that I don't believe in the secret rapture. I do believe in the rapture of the church, that at the second coming, Jesus doesn't do the bounce back thing. I don't see that in the Bible. He doesn't come halfway down, meet us in the clouds, go back up into heaven, seven years later, comes back down. Now, you are welcome to believe that if you want to, but I don't see it the way that I read the text. I see one. I see two comings of Christ. The first coming, which already happened 2,000 years ago. The second coming, which is about to happen. When that happens, we are caught up in heaven with him and return with him to the earth, or we come with him to the earth, and he rules and reigns and starts uh, to inaugurate his physical kingdom. But what you have to see here is that he is caught up uh, to God, the Bible says in verse 5 here in Revelation chapter 12, and to his throne. So he is caught up. He is raptured, the harpeziod, up into heaven. This is speaking to his ascension. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Now, the wilderness, whenever you read wilderness, you have to go back to the original wilderness. The original wilderness was a season of transition from slavery to sonship for the people of Israel. They get out of Egypt as slaves. They are redeemed through the blood of the lamb, and they are brought into the wilderness for 42 years. They're in the wilderness. Uh, We talked about this earlier in the podcast. 1260 days equals how many months? 42 months. Three and a half years. This number keeps getting up again and again and again. But it's speaking to that same, it's different ways of saying the same thing. There's a wilderness wandering between slavery and sonship. And what we have to realize that we are between that, we are in that wilderness wandering uh, in uh, in the spiritual sense Uh, as we struggle against our mortal or spiritual enemy. So we are this woman in the wilderness who is nourished, by the way, nourished for this wilderness wandering by God. What did Israel experience in the wilderness? Supernatural nourishment with the manna from heaven and the water from the rock, right? Well, what do we get in the new covenant? We get spiritual nourishment through the word of God and through the communion elements and the time of of fellowship in in, in in the community of faith. We get nourished, but we are in the wilderness, which means this. Christian, this place is not your home. You are traveling through. You have left Egypt. You are traveling toward heaven, and you are going to be tested, and you're going to be tried just like Israel was in the wilderness, just like Jesus was in the wilderness. And so our wilderness wanderings will be a time of testing to separate the wheat from the chaff, so to speak, to separate the true from the fake Christian. Will you last? Will you, will you stand the test of time? Your standing the test of time is a testament to the genuineness of your faith. No genuine faith, you will not stand in the wilderness wandering. You will give up. You will, you will, you will fall for the political allurement. You will fall for the spirit of Babylon. You will fall for the political, uh, the um, the spiritual, uh, the uh, you know non-Christian spiritualization of our age. If you fall for these things, it's because you you did not last in the wilderness. Just like many people who came out of Egypt did not last with Moses. In fact, only two did and then the generation that came up after them. So the point that is being made here, though, is that this is how you have to see your reality, Christian. You will be nourished, but you will be tested. And God is with you, and he's going to care for you during this wandering. But the world hates you, and you need to learn how to feed yourself spiritual food. What did Jesus teach us how to pray? He said, pray this way. Give us this day our what? Daily bread, bread, right? Not weekly bread. I need nourishment on a day-by-day basis. By by the way, 1,260 days. Notice it's not 42 months because I said earlier in the podcast, when it mentions days, it's talking about day-by-day experience. So nourishment for 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 the fight, Christian, 
is a day-by-day experience in the Word of God, not month by month. You can't afford to go to church twice a month and expect to have spiritual victory in your life. You can't afford, Christian, to spend one hour, one hour a week in the church and think you're going to have spiritual victory. It's not going to happen. You need time in God's Word yourself. You need time with God's people in community beyond just the weekend experience at church. You need to develop a daily routine where you are nourished in the wilderness wandering by the God who has saved you. That's what's going to make you stand. Verse 7. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. So there is a war in heaven. The principalities and the powers of the age, they're fighting. Michael, the archangel, is fighting, and there's this war going on that we have to be aware of. Now Satan is attacking um, the spiritual forces that are for us in the heavenly realms, and the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms guess what? Good news. They're more powerful. They're more powerful and they are overcoming because Satan, as it says here in verse 8, was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. But it doesn't mean that there's not a fight going on. So there is a spiritual battle taking place and ignorance of this is not bliss. Ignorance of this is asking for defeat. And verse 9 says, and the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil, Satan, the deceiver, the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Bunch of names of Satan here in this passage. Bunch of names. First, he's called the dragon. We already know that means, you know, he's talking about the fact that he's out to get us, out to kill us, right? But second thing is called the ancient serpent, which means this is the same one from Genesis chapter three. Same guy, same deceiver. But third, he's called the devil. The word devil here in Greek is diabolos. Uh, I know this sounds... Spanish, but it's actually first Greek. Diabolos means slanderer. This is somebody who accuses somebody without, um, without a standing, uh, somebody who falsely accuses someone. And now every Christian knows this, it has had this experience. Every true Christian has had this experience. Uh, you know, Satan suggests evil thoughts into your mind, right? You have this evil thought. Then the next, very next thing that he says is, real Christians wouldn't have that thought. I mean, doesn't that happen like a thousand ways from Sunday for everybody, like as a Christian? Like, Satan gives you the thought, you have the thought because he gives it to you, and then he says, oh, you're having this thought. See, you're not a real Christian because you have this thought. And so how many Christians, without, without being nourished, will fall for the accusations of the enemy because they don't know how he works? He plants the idea of sin, or he gets you to sin. He tempts you into sin. Once you sin, guess what he then does? He gets on the other side of the argument and says, how dare you sin? And if you don't wake up to the reality, wait a second, you're the one that, that you know, tempted me and allured me into that. You were part of the issue. Sometimes he isn't, but most of the times he is. Like we have the flesh that allures us into that too. But he's the one that instigates the temptation and then we fall for it and then he accuses us for falling into the temptation that he instigated. <laughs> I mean, this guy, he's playing both sides of the argument all the time in our lives. And if we're not nourished, if we don't know what he's up to, we will fall for his lies. How many Christians struggle with something right now in their life and they think they let the devil speak into their lives. Oh, real Christians don't struggle with that. If you were a real Christian, you wouldn't have those thoughts. If you were a real Christian, you wouldn't speak like that. If you were a real Christian, you wouldn't do those things. 
And it's like, wait a second, that makes me not a real Christian. And then how many Christians stop going to church because they've allowed the slanderer, the, ac- the, ac- the accuser, to falsely accuse them and to get them thinking they're not a real Christian, and then they leave the church. This, 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 this is why ignorance of the devil and what he does is just making you a sitting duck for his devices. So he's called the devil. And then lastly, look at this last line. The deceiver of the whole world. Not part of the world. Not a fraction of the world. You're either, you're either awakened to the truth of God or you are deceived by the devil. There's no in-between. There's no DMZ. There's no demilitarized zone, okay? You are either deceived by the devil or you are awake and alert to the truth of God. And so you have to realize this, Christian, because the world as you know it, every part of it, in some way, shape, or form, is living under the distortion and deceptions of your spiritual enemy. From the political shows that you watch, to the community school PTA program that you attend, to the corporate structure of your business. Why is there tension? Why is there infighting? Why is there... Why is there hatred of each other? Why is there a lack of community? Why don't people care for one another like they should? Because they are living under the deception of the deceiver of this age. So please don't miss your, your, your enemy here. He uh, distorts God's word. Okay, That's why it refers to him as the ancient serpent who distorted the word of God to Eve. He slanders us and he accuses us. He's the devil. And then he deceives the whole world. These are the three realities of our spiritual enemy. Don't be ignorant. Moving on. Verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him. Listen to this. By the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Ooh, I love this text. (laughs) Just love this text. A couple things it's teaching us. Number one, your accuser, because of Christ's work on the cross for you, has been thrown down. He can say what he wants. But his lies and his accusations do not stick. Why? Because you are in Christ. If you are a new believer, if you are a believer in Christ, you are in Christ, which means that you stand before God in the righteousness of Christ, just like God clothed Adam and Eve after they sinned in the Garden of Eden. So Christ comes, the shed, the, the lamb slain, comes and clothes you in his righteousness. Now when you stand before the Father, you are not standing there nakedly. You are standing there clothed in his righteousness. And all the accusations that Satan throws at you do not stick. They bounce right off because of the righteousness of Christ that defends you. This is a beautiful passage. And so you, you are not condemned. This is why Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, you are righteous in him, okay? And then he says, you conquer your enemy. So it's one thing to know your enemy, but how do we conquer him? Three things it says here. Number one, through the blood of the lamb. When the devil accuses you, you don't say, yeah, but I had a good week two weeks ago. Or yeah, but I've been doing really well this morning. So far, I haven't done that bad. No, that's basing your standing before God on your righteousness. You overcome through reminding the devil, reminding your accuser, that the blood of Jesus 
has washed away all your sins, and you are righteous in Christ Jesus. Um, I, I, I say in my prayer life, I say this all the time, and whenever I'm talking to the devil in my prayer life, my spiritual prayer life, I always say, the blood of Jesus testifies against you. I just say that line to the devil. I say that to the spirits, the enemy spirits around me. I know that they're attacking me. The blood of Jesus Christ testifies against you. What did I mean by that? I stand not in my righteousness. I am not a good person. I am saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have been made not good, but righteous. Not good, but perfect. Perfect, I stand before the Father. Justified. Now, do I sin? Yes, but I am justified. I have an advocate who fights my cause, who has won my righteousness forever. Signed, sealed, delivered through his blood at the cross 2,000 years ago. So the, the blood of Jesus, Satan, testifies against your accusation. And the blood of Jesus is my defense. Number two, the word of my testimony. Now, some people think that this means tell the devil your testimony and he goes away. Like they think, okay, well, I came down to the altar. I put my hand up or I said the prayer. No, no, no. Again, you're talking about what you've done. The word of your testimony is not what you've done. The word of your testimony is what Jesus has done. So you need, to, <laughs> you need to remind the devil what Jesus has done for you. Christ died for me. I, there is no condemnation for me who, who is in Christ Jesus, Romans chapter 8. This is why you need to memorize certain passages of the scriptures that talk to your spiritual reality before the Father so that you can speak them back to your spiritual enemy and not be a sitting duck for his deceptions and his lies. Um, and then lastly, he says, and by not loving their lives even unto death. Again, not being like the world, not to say, not to, not to say hate yourself, but not to love yourself the way that Paul warned Timothy. Uh, to know that we are walk, we are passing through this world reminds us not to put our hope in this world. Uh, and his days are short, the Bible says here in verse 12. He knows his time is short. Uh, Hitler, in the final days of World War II, as he, was, he knew he was going to lose, his generals came. This is a true story. His generals came to him and said, listen, they're going to win. Plead a treaty. Plead your case and make a peace treaty with the Allied forces. He said no, and he launched over 1,000 V-2 rockets into England, and he killed many people, and he badly damaged London in the final days of the war, right before this guy killed himself. Why? Because he was filled with hate. Satan is the same exact way. He's filled with hate. And he's not going to ramp down his attacks on you. He's going to ramp them up. Christian, if you feel like you are facing a stronger spiritual force now than you were previously in your Christian life, <laughs> welcome to Satan's attacks. I mean, he knows he doesn't have forever. He knows he's only got a certain amount of time before Christ comes and abolishes his power and authority on this earth for all time. It doesn't mean that he's going to ramp down. It means that he's going to ramp up. So that's what it says here in verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he'd been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman. Now remember who the woman is. The woman is the covenant people of God. He's coming after God's people who had given birth to the, man uh, the male child. Verse 14. But the woman was given two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for time, times, and half a time. Again, our nourishment in time with God, passing through, letting God speak to us, being strong, not in ourselves, but in the word of God is how we overcome our spiritual foe, our spiritual enemy. Now, check out verse 15. Again, he's going to ramp up his attack. He's not going to ramp it down because look what it says here in verse 15. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman, out of his mouth meaning his lies, okay? A river means it never stops flowing. Lies never stop coming from the enemy. And you need to realize that in your, in your Christian walk. 
to sweep her away with a flood. This is what I, I say, um, I call it the flood of deception of this age. The flood of deception of this age. And then verse 16, before we get there, just I want, to think, I want you to think about that phrase. Satan's deception is not a trickle. Satan's deception is not like the faucet just barely getting turned on. It's a flood. And more than ever before, we have access to more information, more news, more knowledge, more ideas, more people, more voices than ever before. And more than ever before, we can get flooded with deception because the whole world is under the power of the evil one. This is why you have to have a church that teaches you the scriptures, which are the truth. You think about YouTube. Now, I love YouTube. And we're on YouTube right now. So thank you for being here on YouTube. But if you think about it, if you go into YouTube without discernment, I talked to more Christians today where they just have no spiritual discernment about their YouTube habits. Because you get onto one video that leads to another video that leads to another. Now, when you're trying to learn how to fix your air conditioner, go on with your bad self, right? (laughs) Learn, Learn how to fix your air conditioner. Learn how to tune your car up, whatever. I don't care. That's very helpful. But when it comes to spiritual matters, oh, please, I beg you, I beg you Christians who are addicted to YouTube nonsense, use discernment. Uh, ask us questions in the deep end. I, I, I talk to people. I talk to people in our church. This gets me infuriated. I talk to people in our church that listen to other people that they've never met on YouTube teaching them spiritual stuff that's absolute crap. And then I say, are you listening to the deep end? They say, oh, once in a while. What the heck? Like, listen to the one that God gave you in your local church and let God stop that flood of lies and deception. Verse 16, the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured out from his mouth. So this is the good news of the gospel. This is the good news of our fight is that God is going to even use supernatural means to keep us out of the flood of deception. God is going to open the earth if necessary. This is actually an allusion to number 16 when Korah leads a rebellion against Moses And Moses says, okay, you guys stand over there, and I'll stand over here, and let's see what God does. And God literally opens the earth underneath Korah and his followers. His entire following falls into the center of the earth. Well, this is an allusion to that, meaning that God has a way of preserving his true followers. And so true followers, you know, I I make a big deal about the people who get stuck into the vortex of YouTube deception, but true followers will come out. They will. Eventually, they'll say, oh, man, what am I doing? You know, and they'll come clean and, and the Lord will save them. But but look, don't open yourself up to that because it's just a it's a nonsense uh, trail. It leads you into nonsense. You don't want to fall for this. Verse 17 and 18, the last verse. Then the dragon became furious with the woman. Again, he's going to ramp up his attacks, not ramp down. Furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. That's us. And on those who com- keep the commandments of God and the hold the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. This here is an illusion to the fact that his time is short. He is standing on um, uh, shaky ground. Sand on the sea. You think about it. There's no more, uh, uh, there's no less secure foundation on the earth than sand on the sea. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. It's covered in water uh, 12 hours of the day. It's exposed to the sun 12 hours hours of the day. You get the point. What, What it's saying here is that Satan, though he looks like he's impressive right now, though he looks like he's winning, Okay, though the counseling ban comes down from the Massachusetts governor's desk and looks like it's going to eliminate Christian help for people who are struggling with real problems in their mental life and in their sexual life, though it looks like Satan is winning, guess what? He's standing on shaky ground. He's standing on the sand. And one day, his kingdom is coming to an end. So my point to you is, put your faith in Christ. Seek him. 
Rest in him. Be strong in him. Let me sum it all up by saying a couple things. Lastly, number one, you are at war. This is what I'm trying to tell you in this episode of the, of the Deep End Podcast. You are at war. To ignore the war is to lose the war. Don't enter that boxing max, match of life in the spirit and put your arms down. Put them up. Be ready to fight. Number two, you have a real enemy who accuses and deceives. He's going to accuse you and deceive you. He's going to deceive you into sin, and then he's going to accuse you for sinning. Number three, number three, you have to fight with the right tools. You can't fight the devil with the wrong tools. You have to have the tools, and you have to walk in the power of the gospel and in the power of the name of Jesus and in the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus testifies to the, to the ultimate defeat of our spiritual enemy. Number four, the victory is yours, but you have to walk in it. You have to walk in it. You are either living less victorious than you should be, or you are living victorious as a Christian. There are so many countless Christians living less victorious than they should be. Why? Because they have, not, they have not appropriated the spiritual tools and weapons that God has given them to win a spiritual fight, to win this spiritual fight for their lives. You should walk in victory every day of your life as a Christian. You will have days of defeat. I get it. You will have seasons of defeat, seasons of darkness, but the victory is yours. Claim it in Christ's name because he paid for it with his blood. Amen. Amen. This was... A great episode. I enjoyed teaching it. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. You might need to listen to this twice because even as I went through it, I was thinking, man, I hope they're getting this. I, I encourage that. A couple of weeks ago, I saw somebody at church here and they said, I mean, I was listening to the past episodes of The Deep End. Thank you for doing it. I'm so glad. If you haven't listened to past episodes of The Deep End, you can go ahead on our YouTube page, click through, check them out, both season one and season two. So glad that you were here. Uh, check us out online all week, anytime. We'll see you next time here on the deep end.